0: I want to go to there. Snipe! I saw
1: it in the and I just
0: couldn't resist it. doesn't
1: like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who've just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
2: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes, Thirty hours. Agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would
0: you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes for the hearts, <gasps> Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Calsack, and I'm joined to ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
1: Uh, well, I, I had the, the post-marathon blues for a few days, and by blues, I mean horrible, uh, dead legs, but... <laughs> Uh, that's over now, and all is all is back to normal. So I guess I can't complain. And you... I actually couldn't complain in the first place, since it was all my fault anyway.
0: <laughs> now, uh, have you reached the level? Uh, the, has the cycle completed where you think it? Maybe it's a good idea to do again. You've come like you've forgotten the t- the terrible pain, or is it still fresh in your mind?
1: Um, if I was gonna do it again, uh, I, it, worst fall wouldn't be till at least next year. I would I would say. Um, and I would want to be considered like as as I mentioned, I would really need to be fitter for that to happen. So I think what I might do is register really early, and then see how it goes. And if I have to raffle it off, then fine. But maybe that'll help keep the keep the uh, the, the the fitness engagement going through mm-hmm. the dead se- through the dead season, um, <laughs> aka the fall and winter and some of the spring.
0: Fair enough. Well, uh, it's a it's very exciting this week in the podcast because uh, we, while well, we have a fabulous guest returning, uh, Mr. Dennis Perkins of the V Club, to talk with us some more about the Wire, because we can, because it's our podcast. So that's right, we did another segment about the Wire, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, that's coming at the end of the podcast. Despite having lots of great the Wire talk, I'm pretty confident we're gonna have a short show this week, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah.
1: We gotta we gotta enjoy it while we can anyway.
0: Yeah, because it's not gonna happen very frequently. Right now we just happen to be in the middle of a bunch of things ending and other things not starting quite yet and some of the Netflix shows not quite hitting yet. Um that will change quickly. Uh we'll have a preview of Hannibal a little bit later, guys. But um yeah, because of combination of end of the school year things and um getting ready for ATX or Austin television festival or a television experience as they prefer to be called um, this, this weekend, which is where I, where I will be this weekend. Um, I haven't had a chance to take advantage of a light TV week for us to catch up on other things. So I know banana and cucumber and tofu fans of which we've heard from none, but I assume they're out there because <laughs> I hear good things, just not from our listeners yet about it. Um we will, eventually catch up with the show and hopefully soon but not this week because too much planning too much going on even if it doesn't actually end up on the podcast is what are you most looking forward to in this coming week because we do have some premieres coming up and we got some you know because i'm excited about say you think you can dance I, i would assume we're both very excited about hannibal but we also have a week of adventure time coming which is always fun when they do that
1: yeah, the, the, we 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 keep asking how many episodes are in the season, and now we know because they're airing the last six this week, one every night, and then two on Friday. Uh, so that's gonna be pretty dope. Um, I I I'm excited to be uh, sort of vaguely caught up to where you are on Hannibal since you have screeners and I don't. And grr. <laughs> um, what else is I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about the the, the coming Netflix dumps, uh, although. As per usual, I will be overwhelmed when they happen.
0: Yeah, the Sense8 is really intriguing to me, just because I always I always find the Wachowskis... Uh, Wachowskis I don't, which one is it?
1: It's Wachowskis.
0: Wachowskis. I always find them very interesting uh, filmmakers, so seeing what they do with the Netflix model should be... Very interesting, and uh we won't have a preview of that because we don't get Netflix screeners, but that's something we will certainly talk about in the podcast next week um yeah, so it, we we've got we've got some more finales this week. we've got uh, a couple of premieres, at least one premiere, and some previews so there there's stuff going on in TV but it's it's nice to have an off week for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like the eye of the hurricane.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, So with that in mind, we're going to keep things short up here at the top. We're going to not, you know, squander this opportunity to have a reasonably length podcast for once. So uh, with that, we're going to take a break right now and just head back in a little bit with our week in comedy. So we'll be right back after this. That was Ashkin Farewell featured this week on the Louis finale. It holds a very dear place in my heart. It's a piece that uh, I learned to play when I was very young. I played as a duet with my sister all the time at many a wedding. Uh, So I was very, uh, very pleased to see it show up this week on Louis. We're going to be talking about the Louis finale here, The Road Part 2, as well as Inside Amy Schumer, 80s Ladies, uh, (laughs) as well as Silicon Valley White Hat, Black Hat, and of course, Beep Bill. Um, But first, let's kick things off with the Louis finale. And word came out in, in, I think it was an interview with Seppenwall, right? That a uh, part of the reason that maybe this season is structured differently than previous seasons, or it came out when it did with eight episodes and not, you know, 13 or the original seven uh, was because uh, according to Louis C.K., he got stoned and thought he had a bunch of ideas. So he pushed up the start of the season and then looked at his notes and realized they were all terrible because he was stoned. And so instead just decided to go back to to basics and and really do these kind of uh, more self-contained stories. Uh, do you, how, how much of that do you think is genuine? And does it affect, like, the fact that this kind of notion came out before the last episode, does it affect your take on the last episode or this season?
1: Oh, it absolutely does. Uh, I mean, some of it might be exaggerated, but, the, I mean, the original notion was that he wanted to delay... Because he was tired of winter shoots, which makes perfect sense to me. I was actually thinking, um, while watching the season, like this looks really miserable to shoot in, <laughs> um, especially in the first part of, of the season finale. I was thinking, I, I, it doesn't. It didn't surprise me that, uh, that, that 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 to hear at all that uh, that he tried to avoid that, and, and then apparently what happened was when he. Uh, they were about to make the Landgraf was about to make the announcement that they had to, that they were gonna have to delay the start of the season uh, when when CK called him. it was like the day before which that part I don't know if I believe but um, and then because they had they had to move it around the budget was no longer around for a full season which how cash strapped does FX have to be that they don't have money for a season of Louie but whatever um, hence the shorter order uh, that being said uh, I think it says a lot about the season that even with sort of a paucity of really developed ideas kicking around, it was still, like, a thoroughly watchable season of Louis. Was it as good as two, three, four? No. Even my sister's in the background shaking her head because we recently watched the whole thing. Uh, but, um, no, it wasn't. That being said, uh, there was a lot to like, I, I thought, especially in the second half of the finale. Um, I liked everything with, uh, with the opening comic and... Uh, I think it says a lot about how CK's developed as an actor that he's, he actually really pulls off that scene where he has a where they have a tearful conversation about how funny farts are. Um, I can't really imagine have that going down well in like season one or two.
0: Yeah, that was pretty fantastic. And like just the the way that conversation turns is delightful. And then of course at the, the end, yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, but the, the performance I thought from CK was really good and really worked in that scene. I like that they take this comic we have, because we're with Louis completely earlier in the episode. This guy is a, just a, a jag off and he's not funny and he's getting all the laughs. Like the, the episode sets you up to be utterly in Louis' camp. And then they have that conversation and it's like, yeah, he's a guy. This is this is a guy. This is a person. He should be treated with respect and not uh, treated like just some random idiot. Uh, given the be- he should be given a little bit more benefit of the doubt, uh, and so I, I did think that 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 worked well, um, even if maybe the show uh, and Lou- C.K. went a little too far the other direction it's like, oh, he's really good. No, he's still, he was being an asshole as well. The other guy was yes. also being an asshole. But I did think that they came together nicely. And I did really, I thought the opening with the um, the fair and the, uh, or I guess it's not the opening. I think of it as the opening because it comes earlier in the episode, but I guess the middle of the episode where they, he walks around and he ends up dressed up like a Civil War yes. general. It's just such a wonderfully Louis sequence. And then random waltzing to Ashken was was pretty great. It's a... Uh, for those who don't know, "Ashken Farewell" was featured in the PBS miniseries "The Civil War," which is why I'm sure it was selected here, as well as just being pretty. Um, it wasn't; a- it's not actually from Civil War time or anything like that, but it, it is very closely associated with the Civil War because of its, how prominently it was featured in that uh, PBS. Uh, series or documentary. I don't know which one. I've not actually seen it, but I hear One of those Ken
1: Burns ones.
0: Well, so, something like that, yes. Um, so it just, that was a really lovely thing for me. It, uh, like I said, it has, holds a very dear place in my heart. It's a piece I play with my sister all the time. So that was really great. And the, just the Waltz thing, I've, that's the kind of Louie I've been missing. That's sort of more uh, dreamy without the guy hopping on the desk, horrible, horror dreamy. More, <laughs> More like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm th- thinking back to Louis and his, his, his apartment or his house shopping back in, what was that, season two or season three. Um, it was nice to yeah. get a touch of that here in a season that has not been that sort of whimsical in, in a positive way, maybe, this season.
1: Yeah, that was definitely my favorite part of the episode. And also, like, the way that he resisted going for any potential easy jokes in that in that sequence. Like, you keep waiting for him to, like, hit on one of the women or something, and then when he is just dancing with the photographer, it's not like a big, it's not a big comic moment. It's just like a little surreal twinge, and then it's over, which I really liked. And then having, ha- then finally getting him getting back home with the and having yeah, his daughter see it was a really nice touch. Um, I agree that that sequence is not. It it really felt like like vintage Louis, and not sort of the more off the cuff feeling we've gotten for the rest of the from from the rest of the season. I thought it was really weird to end the season with no with none of the quasi-recurring elements of, of this, like, I, it was weird to have no Pamela in the season and, like, almost nothing, at in the season finale and almost nothing with the kids. Um, but it also felt appropriate for this sort of, like, more slapdash set of episodes.
0: Yeah, and uh, when you mention him really hating the winter shoots, I wonder if that's why we went on the road for two episodes. <laughs>
1: uh, maybe. Just also possible.
0: All interiors and a tent in the rain. You know, like... I thought that that was an interesting note. Do we? Do you have any thought? Final thoughts on this episode or this season of Louis? Or, or, is that sort of where you're at with it? Just sort of like a positive, but you know, not feeling the need to maybe dive in with it.
1: No, I, th- I think we're. I think we're covered. I'll be curious. I would be. I would be very surprised if, based on the fact that he's writing and directing and starring in a feature this year. Um, I would be very surprised if, then, if we got a full next season that aired at the same time, I think he probably actually will delay this time, possibly even another year. Uh, so yeah, that will be like, I I would be much more surprised if we got another full season on time next year. And I I would much rather he took some more time to like really, to have a, maybe a little bit more considered season as much as there was stuff I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah. And I would, I would co-sign with that, uh, the wonderful thing about the Louis deal is that he only needs to make stuff when he's got stuff to make. And so I look forward to what the next season of Louis, whenever it happens, will bring. Assuming we don't hear more disturbing things about CK. Sorry. Yeah, I, I sorry. I shouldn't yeah, have done I, sh- I shouldn't have reminded us.
1: <laughs> that's that's totally fair. Yeah, really only he and Larry David and all of television seem to have that deal. Yeah.
0: Let's move on to another comedian uh, with a very interesting season, and that's Inside Amy Schumer. Um, 80s Ladies this week is the episode. And I don't think this is, you know, for me, contention, in contention for one of the best of the season, but it does have one of the best sketches of the season, without a doubt. And that's, I mean, I know some people loved the 80s Ladies, um, and there was a couple of fun sequences there. But for me, it's all about the Cosby sketch here. This is, this is the best Cosby sketch I've seen, and there have been a lot of them.
1: Have there been a lot of Cosby sketches? It doesn't
0: seem like there has been a lot of Cosby jokes. A lot of Cosby,
1: Cosby jokes, for sure. A lot of Cosby um,
0: segments.
1: Yes. And yes, it's, 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 certainly that's true, but there has I, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of like scripted sketch comedy that's had the the is to take on the whole Cosby thing. I mean, the reason I mean, I I think the reason that segment works is because it finds a nice vein of commentary and then Kind of, it really just sticks to it and finds, you know, it, it finds a nice apt metaphor and it just kind of mines that for about five minutes. And it's really aided by, I think, one of my favorite of her sort of character comic performances with her as this, you know, stereotypically sort of sassy, big talking lawyer and with, with her little like shuffle in the courtroom when she turns on the Cosby music. And they, there's so many just great little details in that performance. Um, that really, that really sell it as much as, you know, the, the, um, the choice, the choice of said and extras and, uh. And casting all is is all great. It's you know typically great as well. Really, it's 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 her performance that 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 holds it together. I think.
0: Yeah, it's a very strong performance from Amy Schumer there. And I, the thing, the reason it works for me so well is that it's not actually about Cosby. It's about our reaction to Cosby. And the the actual reason so so many people are upset about Cosby or took so long to accept what was being said, and that's because it's not because we like Bill Cosby. It's because we like Cliff Huxtable. Uh, at least a lot of us. And uh, and so to to really, and, and it's just surprising to me that nobody had put it in such, like people had said that, but nobody had made a sketch out of it. Nobody had really, you know, dived in with that the way that this sketch does. And uh, the fact that that was still fair game, nobody had done it yet. Power to, more power to Amy Schumer for, for seeing that opportunity and taking it, t- seizing it and taking advantage of it here to give us one of the best sketches of the season.
1: Yeah, it was really, really good. Um, Let's see, what else was in this episode? I I enjoyed the weird science sketch. As much as it was strange that I I watched... Immediately after this, I watched the new Jen Kirkman special, um, which was called... um, Shit. Um, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine, I believe is what it's called. And they both had identical jokes about uh, about how her dream woman would be a guy who loves his mother, but his mother is dead. <laughs> um, really weird bit of synchronicity there. Um, that sketch worked, um, and there was another one that worked. Uh, I for, I'm for, it's, not, it's not coming to me right now what it was. 80s ladies, eh, had its moments here and there. Uh, sexy rodeo, not actually funny, but uh, it was totally redeemed by where the URL went.
0: Yeah, everybody go to sexy rodeos, plural, important o e s at the end dot dot <laughs> com or dot org. I think it's dot, dot com. Dot com. Yeah, just trust us. It's it's delightful. Um, yeah, I like like we said, not like the like any sketch show. There's going to be hits and misses. I think for me, the '80s ladies were worth it just for the skipping around the mic. You know, the the singing into your hairbrush around the the table. I mean. Come on, who hasn't wanted to have one? A uh, singing into a fake microphone, hairbrush, hairbrush microphone around the table montage. Because you don't actually want to do that for how long it would take to actually, you know, need a montage. But you want to think that you could just like get that spirit when you need a pick, uh, you know, pick me up. So, so for me, that that made the whole thing worthwhile. Um, it's one that I would be happy if it didn't become a recurring bit over multiple episodes or multiple seasons. Oh, I really hope not. But you know, just, you know, it's it's silly and fun, and I like her doing something that doesn't... Not everything needs to be weighty all the time. That's true. So, any other thoughts on Inside Amy Shimmer, or is it time to head over to HBO? Let's do that. Well, first up is, of course, Silicon Valley, White Hat, Black Hat, and is... I mean, we had a lot of fun with Romy Rosemount last week. And uh, Richard embracing the left-hand path Uh, how do you do with that this week he he pretty much sucks at it right
1: oh yes yes he's well i mean there isn't a lot except for coding that he doesn't suck at uh, i think has been the 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 principal theme of this season um i really like this one uh I'm, i'm blah blah blah. why can't thoughts thoughts um i really did enjoy this one uh but i do have one niggling complaint uh remember how we got excited when they uh when they introduced a female coder mm-hmm. and she had like a fun introductory episode and I feel like she's gotten like zilt to do since then.
0: Yeah, th- since she was messing with uh Gilfoyle and Dinesh over how much money she makes, that you know, since then she's literally been defined um by her gender because it's all been every every joke with her has been about how people respond to the fact that she's a woman. So, like, here we get that beat about being, about scrumptious and how it's, and uh, and Richard, uh, you know, just making sexist comments just out of the awkwardness. Um, yeah, it would be nice to get back. Or we had that episode with, um, uh, where, it's, it, where OJ kept wanting, where Jared kept wanting the two women to just be friends. So, while... I've appreciated the self-awareness about that. Uh, these different, uh, you know, h- how this group adds a new member, how it does incorporating a new a new person, and how gender affects that. It would be nice if they got back to, you know, letting her be a person and not just the new woman.
1: Yes. Uh, on the other hand, there is kind of a neat thread about how isolated women are in this world. Like, in, in, in just kind of a subtle way, like whenever we're in the the Hooli offices, and and Gavin Belton is like gentlemen of the board and woman, um, <laughs> you know there is there is a, a there seems to be a tokenism to the tech world, so it makes sense to be on the show, but it's weird. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. I don't think they handled it the worst way possible, but definitely could have been a little bit more graceful about it.
0: I enjoyed this episode, and I you know when they have uh, I mean crispy Demetropolis, I'm guessing he's gone now. He's unless he's going to give them more money, which he, he didn't do at the end of the episode. So, I don't know, but I thought that the the the, the uh, trace comas or whatever it was with the delete, but I thought that actually worked really well. Um but now I'm just sort of at a loss because they presented this um so strongly the the porn connection as the only way forward for the company that they were going to go under if they didn't get that support. Um I'm kind of at a loss for these last couple episodes um I'm sure that they'll they'll come up with something that'll be entertaining, but it was a little to not have either one of those two come through. They they've painted so successfully uh, the characters into a corner that I'm gonna have a hard time with you know another magical benefactor coming out of nowhere. Or if they don't do that, if they just have oh they didn't think they could make it through and they, but they did. That's gonna get old too. So I'm 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 a little curious about how they how they are going to get themselves out of this without it feeling like a deus ex machina.
1: My major takeaway from this episode was actually uh, very context specific because I've been doing research on, on like sort of some principles of network security and network functionality. And um, there's this whole thing called the OSI system, which is like runs from seven levels from the physical realm to, to the application level. And, Uh, I was thinking about the tequila bottle on the delete key. I was thinking, well, that's definitely a level one problem. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I I hope anyone at home was thinking that as well, because uh, I have some extremely dull things to think about (laughs) today.
0: Well, um, yeah, um, it's been a solid season of of Silicon Valley so far. I'm sure they're going to end it well. Um, But let's move on to Veep, because uh, I'm curious if you felt the same way to Silicon Valley's been solid all season. For me, Veep has actually been very uneven. There's a base quality to Veep because it's, you know, it's a really well-made show. It's a really good show. But last week, I was so excited that they finally were were back operating to full uh, functionality. And uh, this week, I was really disappointed with Bill. I haven't even checked the comments over at the, my V Club review because I'm pretty sure everybody over there loved this episode. I, from what I can tell, everybody on Twitter loved this episode. But I was, I was very frustrated with it. It felt reverse engineered. It felt like a betrayal of character and it felt like the writers couldn't come up with a more creative and genuine feeling way to get everybody to where they wanted them, which is the, uh, the, the congressional hearing that we're going to see next week. Did, did any of this bother you or am I literally the only person I can think of who didn't like this episode?
1: I wouldn't say I didn't like the episode. I did think that having Selena be almost voiceless for an entire episode really kind of sapped its comic potential and makes you realize how integral I mean it sounds silly since she's the you know character she's the name character of the show more or less. Um, but it really makes you realize how integral she is to the ensemble and keeping everyone in line and everything else that she brings to the table. So not having that there was uh, was kind of destabilizing. I was surprised about the, the Congressional hearing ending because it was the first thing they've done in a long time that actually evoked the thick of it to me very specifically. Um, although they didn't do an entire Congressional hearing episode, which I don't really see them doing, unlike the thick of it.
0: I mean, next – I'm expecting that, actually, next week. We'll see whether they do it. Taking such a direct parallel from – and that was such an excellent episode of uh, the thick of it it's it's an interesting move because it calls for such direct parallels and such direct comparisons. I, I think they'll do a good job with it next week. But, yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, it really seems like it's it's pretty much just me over here. I really liked uh, what they gave Selena to do, actually. I thought it was really funny. They, the the sick makeup and the performance from her I thought was really solid. Um, but, yeah, for, for me, Ben and Kent and probably Erickson are smarter than this. They, they do lots of stupid things but the, the way that everyone keeps talking about everything in front of the press secretary and the i mean like i expect that from gary but every character that needs to screw that up does dan and amy don't need to so they don't and they remark on how stupid it is that, that they would do that but ben knows better than this kent knows better than this and they just have to they have to be stupid in this episode for, to, to get us where we need to go. And that's frustrating to me. Also frustrating to me is that we get basically a, a completely new character for for Tom James here. He basically becomes Ben so that he can. They wanted to let him yell at everybody so that he does. Um, but I, I, I didn't buy it really for a moment when he's i mean and there's a moment of performance from laurie that doesn't help with this for me where it looks like he's to when i'm watching it, it looks like he's about to crack he's about to, to start laughing um i just didn't i mean there's a lot of this that i just didn't buy i guess and maybe if i was laughing more i would have not noticed that but
1: mm, that's always a thing
0: but did that work for you are you were you totally fine with
1: that I mean, I'm having generalist general issues uh, with with Tom James and his inconsistency, and generally not being as compelling as the rest of the cast, uh, which is very confusing to me uh, for obvious reasons. Um, so those those have just been carrying over from previous episodes, I guess. I didn't notice any any special new issues this week. Um, I'll be very curious to see if they actually do that congressional hearing thing next week, uh, as as you think. Um, I'm I, I feel like if they did, it wouldn't be. Sort of the the amazing thing about the thick of it one was how it was almost jokeless and mm. actually but but still worked somehow, which I don't see veep doing
0: no well, I guess we'll have to check back in with it uh next week um yeah, we'll check with it next week and i I just hope to be back on board with the season next if I don't like not being happy with veep i it's such a show that it's a show that I respect so much. Um I just uh ho- I hope to be back in step with everyone else's take on it next week. Any final thoughts on VEEP or if not what when's your week in comedy?
1: Uh no, so I'll give it to uh, I feel like I'll give it to Schumer for Cosby.
0: Yeah, I I for me it's between inside Amy Schumer and Louie, uh the finale if I could just give it to the Cosby sketch, I would, but f- because of the average, I'm going to give it to the Louis finale, because there was a lot of that finale that I did really enjoy. So, so I'll give it to Louis. We'll split the vote here, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that works for me. So, so now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with our week in genre and drama. <laughs> genre and drama I'm going to preview Hannibal season 3 and then we'll talk about the Outlander finale to ransom a man's soul orphan black community of dreadful fear and hate Game of Thrones hard home penny dreadful above the vaulted sky so again it's a, it's a little shorter week in genre and drama basically just Yay. genre this week uh, next week we may check in with Halt and Catch Fire um We'll see where that's at. Let us know, listeners, if you're if you're back on board with that one. I know there's been a lot of talk about how it's an improved second season, so uh, we're we're vaguely curious. But for this week, we're going to kick things off with Hannibal. I've seen the first three episodes of season three of Hannibal, and guess what, guys? It's really good. It's so good. Um, I don't want to say too much. I mean, because if you want spoilers, you just have to go to Brian Fuller's Twitter feed because he can't help but give them it
1: seems uh Brian Fuller does not give a fuck
0: yeah he really doesn't and it's it's refreshing unless you're trying to not know anything about the season going in so what I will say is this there's uh the the elegance of the premiere is is wonderful and uh it watching the first episode of the season just sort of reminded to me how much I love this show and how really the way that other people feel about Mad Men is how I feel about Hannibal. And so, uh, it- when uh, people just talk about loving Mad Men so much and there's so much to dig your teeth into and sink your teeth into in every episode and every scene, I was like, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about Hannibal. So uh, I, I love many, many, many of the stylistic choices in these first three episodes, particularly in the first episode. There's uh, they play with aspect ratio for the first time in the series. They play with uh Black and white in color. They have hilarious scenes in these first couple episodes. Uh, One of the funniest scenes in the series in this premiere. Um, As well as, as to be expected, gorgeous cinematography, uh, beautiful costumes, excellent uh, uh, music supervision and soundtrack and score by Brian Reitzel. The way that they handle the fallout from Mizumono uh, works very well for me and i'm curious to, i look forward to seeing whether people are frustrated with it or they appreciate it uh for me it it's a very clever premiere the way that, that it's structured the way that it's handled is very clever um do you are you, do you have any questions like what what do you want to know about the handle season 3
1: uh nothing nothing I, I no i'm with you i'd rather just watch and and yeah. absorb and and uh and and take what comes to me i already know more than i want to i think i know more than than you did before you started watching Mm. so i think i'll just leave that there there's really nothing else like it and it sounds like there continues not to be so cool with me uh yeah and it's also one of those shows that is not like you watch mad men you know it has a future with hannibal i have no idea how long brian fuller is going to be getting away with this so with each new season it's like all right go for broke dude this might be it (laughs) this might really be it this time
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, the the last thing I'll say about about these episodes, aside from I'm going to be covering Hannibal, reviewing Hannibal at Sound on Site this this season, my first review is already filed. It's about 3,000 words long, uh, with about 1,000 <laughs> words of, actually over 1,000 words of musical analysis in there. So people who enjoy This Is Our Design and enjoy Kate's Classical Corner, head to Sound on Site on Thursday, because uh, there's a lot. That'll be coming your way. Uh, and This Is Our Design is also going to be back Thursday night right after the uh, the premiere as well. But um, the last thing I'll say is that, bizarrely, and I don't feel... Like, I'm not worried about overhyping this, which is r- r- a nice thing for me. I don't feel like I need to worry about overhyping. While being a really logical and really well-done follow-up to Mizumono the season premiere is also a good place that people can jump in if they've never seen the show show before so i it's amazing that they pulled that off so if it's a logical continuation or or a logical logical follow up to mizumono that feels thematically and you know char- character based uh, issues uh, like a very logical and um uh satisfying follow up to mizumono and if you've never seen the show before, you can also start watching there as well. So tip of the hat to Brian Fuller and company, because, you know, that's amazing to me. So that's where I'll leave Hannibal. I look forward to talking about it with you on the podcast next week a little bit here. Um, but now let's move on to an episode I think neither of us is looking forward to talking about. And that's the Outlander finale to Ransom a Man's Soul. I feel safe speaking for you, Simon, to say that this we agree that this is a very well-made finale, but it's also it's really rough. This is this is gonna be a hard one to to to, to talk about here.
1: Well, also because in in a few senses, I don't feel like I have that much to say about it. Um you know, it's part three of the of the Jamie Torture trilogy. Um and what's what's strange about it to me is they spent so much time on Jamie and and Blackjack um and the depths of the horror of it and uh and they should if they're gonna do it um but i feel like they almost did it too well in the sense that by the time you know when it's all done and he and they do the the silly sheep rescue thing which just the tonal difference of of Blair, you know, like, you know, blowing the doors open with ca- with cattle versus what's going on inside the place they're breaking into is just so insane to me. Um, but anyway, uh, they've done such a good job of showing the depths of, of, of Blackjack's depravity and 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 everything that Jamie's gone through that I don't that I can't even accept that, that the end of this episode is even vaguely hopeful. Like it's just, it's too much. Like the, the way that they go from that to, uh, okay guys, we've got 19 minutes left of screen time or whatever to get Jamie from wanting to kill himself to being like pretty okay. Or even smiling and happy because of good news at the end of the episode. Uh, I didn't really buy it. It was just, it was too, they shoehorned a little too much. Um, too much progress into this episode does that make any sense to you
0: yeah i i definitely uh i definitely agree with you there especially when you view it as like you were saying as the the conclusion of a trilogy of episodes uh and you it so it, it feels more like the end of you know two 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 hours two and a half hours as opposed to just like the first part of the episode um and and when the when the jangly music comes in that it, you're right there's a total tonal disconnect there that I think they could have done a better job of making it feel more hollow and uh and and letting us enjoy the triumph of that without it being like you say such a disconnect from everything that's happened before um this this was a brutal watch and I think it, it's such a strange thing to say cuz I'm so sensitive to depictions of rape on screen and I'm So over depictions of rape on screen. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to have this be your storyline and you're going to commit to that, then this is the kind of episode that I think there's some level of a responsibility to do. And so I'm glad that they don't pull their punches on it. As hard as it was to watch and as much as I look forward to never watching this again, there are parts of this that are just kind of stuck in my brain and I don't want them in there. And I think that that is a, a powerful statement about a sexual assault and about, um, the experience that Jamie has to endure or thinks he's not going to have to endure, thinks he's going to be freed from, that he's going to be killed, you know, by Randall and, um, and the conversation of the psychological element is the the most harrowing part because we've all seen people get get uh, get raped on TV, but we haven't seen the psychological torture that Jack puts Jamie through here. And and I think that that's an important part of a discussion of sexual assault on TV. Um, it's easy to victim blame if you if there's a physical response to one's assault and that's something that does happen to victims or, or survivors of sexual assault and so to add that component in there is particularly disturbing and yet i because that is a thing that happens to you know to, to to people who are are assaulted like that i think it it's like that that component is the most disturbing and the most harrowing and i'm bizarrely glad that they were willing to 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 go there with, it, with this because it is a thing that happens and it I like that they don't back away from the varying levels of of, of violation that Jamie has 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 been forced upon Jamie um, and there are some really you know, watching this with our modern perspective when we get you know Claire blaming Jamie for his reaction to his assault and saying, don't you care about me? You're not responding the way I want you to. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it is, it's a reminder that she's not from our time. She's from the forties. She doesn't know the stuff that we, that, 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 you know, she isn't aware of the sensitivity and the, the way that we common now, we, we respond to this kind of trauma and we say that one should respond to this kind of trauma. Um, there are some changes from the book that I've read about that I'm glad that they did. Um, you think it's a happy ending in this episode? It's a much more, it's a much quicker turnaround, I would say. It seems like it's a much quicker turnaround in the book. Um, so I'm glad that they didn't do... Basically, guys, the book readers, I'm glad they cut the hot springs. I know some people are very not happy about them cutting the hot springs, but I'm glad they cut the hot springs um, because the the steps we see... Um, Jamie make in this episode are more than enough for for a believable start to a turnaround, let alone a just we're okay now. Um, so yeah, do you any thoughts on all of this? I've been rambling for a while here. As
1: much as I I, I absolutely respect everything about how they depicted the rape itself, uh, the series of rapes and violations, etc., I guess I just I couldn't get used to when they get out and and the treatment of Claire and her. And, and how it switches to her perspective, and uh, and, it, and she's just like, I'm going to attack it, we're going to find a way to fix this, we're going to fix it, I've got my potions, I've got my strategies, we're just going to do it. And then it basically works. Uh, like, I know it's not quite that simple, but uh, I feel like they were really hemmed in by the contours of the story and of the running time in a way that made me really uncomfortable. Uh, that being said, nothing you said about uh, about the actual depiction of of the of the series of violations themselves was incorrect. It was absolutely stunning and uh, completely unrewatchable.
0: Yeah, and to to add to that, the um the PTSD we see from Jamie—that's the kind of thing that I can't think of another show that has shown that at least recently. Um, when he's still seeing Jack, when he like when he can't even see Claire, uh, immediately after, let alone, um, later, it takes so much effort from him and so much time for him to even just not physically see Jack Randall when he, uh, looks at Claire because of the, what Jack has put him through. I, th- I think that's really powerful as well. Um, and I think, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Simon. I think that, they could have done they, sh- they needed to do a much better job showing the span of time that is theoretically happening like they're worried he's going to die he's going to starve to death and die that means they're there for like weeks but that is not the sense we get we don't get that sense of passage of time when they're at the abbey and i think that probably would have made a big difference
1: yeah and i and i i totally get where you're coming from about saying how claire is a woman of her time and not ours and like it i think her mindset makes sense i think it's just the The depiction of of the results was a little Mm -hmm. much, and especially with the "I'm pregnant" squee, Um, was yeah, questionable timing Mm -hmm. there.
0: Well, and also maybe this episode could have done a better job of not necessarily backing her the way that it does. Because you're absolutely right; this is very, this is a very clear way of handling this. Being like, "We're gonna fix this. I'm gonna take charge," because that's who she is. Um, But there did need to be, like you say, the triumph music underneath her that's basically telling the audience that she's right to take this approach that maybe that, may that would have helped but um uh i i'm glad we're headed you know just they're headed to france for next season um i'm very very glad to have some time away and uh we'll see what happens next season you're back for season two yes do you think you'll be back
1: uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'm going to wait and see what it is they're up to next season. Um, I really hope they don't, that like, they don't have like Blackjack showing up again midway through the season. That would be, cause they basically can't kill him and it's a bummer.
0: I guess you're right. She knows the time, the day that he dies and this isn't necessarily.
1: And he was not filmed like a dead guy. Okay. He was not filmed like a major character who died.
0: Well, we'll see. Uh, what happens with next season Tobias Menzies and I mean like Sam H- uh, Hagen the performances are they're really impressive in this uh in this episode and um we should also mention peeing on the screen in 15 yes um
1: Menzies repping um,
0: yeah it's really it's a it, <laughs> it's a really startling achievement even if there are some issues we have with it and certainly even if we never want to watch it again. Um, Any final thoughts on Outlander or shall we go on to Orphan Black?
1: Yes, let's do that. Why was this so stressful to watch is what I want to know. (laughs) Um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the best episode of Orphan Black and it was, um, I mean, I guess they had to do an Allison centric one. Um, And I I guess if they had to do an Allison centric one, this was a good way to do it as sort of like outright screwball uh, comedy. If you were if you really paid any attention for like more than three minutes at a time, you would have noticed there were no stakes in this episode uh, or at least no believable stakes. They're not going to cut Donnie's nose off um, as frankly kind of awesome as that would have been. <laughs> um, I don't want bad things to happen to Donnie, but it still would have been pretty awesome. Um, but um, I don't know. I liked everything we got with uh, with Allison's mom, uh, who is horrible. And. Um, and i continue to uh to to enjoy everything that's going on with kasima um we got helena getting punchy which is always good uh, but yeah not a lot really happened in this episode if you really think about it but it was reasonably entertaining for an episode in which almost nothing happens
0: yeah there is a lot of nothing that happens i think they just wanted a like a um a tonal palate cleanser after the previous episode they wanted to you know it was a heavy episode the week before so they wanted to you know, give us a, a, like a breath of fresh air before we move on to the end of the season. And they, they inch a lot of the storylines forward. But you're right. This is very much an Allison episode. And I enjoyed it as that, which considering how unenthused I have been about her storyline is saying something. Um, I, I like that Cosima terrible at being Allison. She's really not good at it. Uh, It's nice to get a change of pace with that, where the, you know, especially Sarah is wonderful at being everyone. So that was nice. Um, Also, I like that we get more Felix this week. I like that he's more involved. I like his response to finding out that Allison is a drug dealer now. Um,
1: (laughs) It's like, I just can't. I just can't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping to, to get more of that next week. And. Again, as much as I did enjoy this episode, I really do need them to bring everything together in the last couple episodes of this season. Um, I just, I don't understand some of the choices they've made this season. And uh, while it was nice to get, you know, like I was way more interested in uh, Helena and Mrs. S. Uh, the the brief scenes we get with them and the way that that is handled, I thought they did a good... And they were wise to keep a lot of that off screen, too, so that our imagination filled in the gaps of how Helena forgave her. I'm still, again, I'm so much more invested in that and in uh, uh girlfriend, Shay, and in these other parts of the show, even Rachel, than I am... Um, this stuff's going on with Allison, that it's distracting. But Donnie was funny, and... Um, the the her, her mom is terrible, like you say. So there's stuff to enjoy here, um, and as a standalone, it pretty much works. But um, yeah, it's a little it's a little bizarre to go to this one after the previous episode.
1: My um, only request for the next season of Orphan Black, and this goes into next season as well, please for the love of God, one day, just if only for one scene, give Felix something to do that doesn't involve a clone. Just yeah, give him a life for a second. It would make me feel so good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I uh, seconded to co-sign that. It's nice to it's, it's nice when they remember that he's a person and not a uh, enabler of his sister and all of her wacky clones. Um, yeah, it'd be good if he had a little autonomy. Uh, we had a, a couple weeks ago with uh, with Gracie, and those scenes were nice. Those were clone
1: adjacent. Yeah, know? that's still yeah, still yeah, exactly clone adjacent. Let's get clones separate anyway. Just even just one scene, it would be good.
0: It would be good. Um, next up is Game of Thrones Hard Home. And this is, uh, it, it surprised a lot of people by basically feeling the end of it feels like an episode nine of Game of Thrones as opposed to an episode eight. Um, did We, of course, have the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. It should already be up in your feed, or at least if not, it'll be up soon. Um, so you can get my thoughts there. We talked with uh, Cooper from Meet the Rudecast uh, and Damn Fine Podcast about this episode. Uh, how did How did this one work for you? Were you glad to get the you know what'd you think of the battle up up at
1: Hardhome? So does this mean we're getting two episode nines? Because that's what it seems like. Um, which would be amazing. Uh, I actually thought that the, the action climax of this episode was possibly and actually probably better than the other action climaxes we've gotten. At least it was uh, on par with uh with the battle at King's Landing. Um,
0: the ba- uh, battle of the Blackwater. That's with the what wildfire. I meant.
1: Yeah. Um, it felt about on par with that, and considering this was a much less theoretically exciting battlefield, where, you know, it's mostly just, you know, snow, uh, and some ramshackle buildings and, and some wood, uh, that's a real achievement. The, uh, you get a reminder of just how insane the production values are in this show compared to basically everything, actually not basically everything else on TV, and you just get an appre- like. As, as, as wonderful as, as it is to see how people can stretch their budget, sometimes it's just nice to see that money on the fucking screen. Um, and we saw that money on the screen uh, for a solid 20 minutes, and uh, it was tense and scary. It was actually really, really scary, um, yeah, which I feel like the show hasn't pulled off in a long time. That whole like never-ending standoff at the end of the episode where I was convinced they were just going to freeze the water and just run out and just get all killed. That's what I was <laughs> sure was going to happen. Um, even though I knew really intellectually that it wasn't. Uh, so if you can get me to that place, that means you're doing a good job. Um, and everything else in the episode worked too, mostly because uh, there was nothing. All the odious stuff was somehow just avoided or skipped over. So it was a really strong episode overall. Um, we got scenes with Tyrion and, uh, and Danny, which was huge um, and presumably has never happened before. In any medium. so And it was really good. And, and we want those characters to basically get along. And they basically do. So um, whether or not that makes perfect sense right away, uh, I'm fine with it. So that was great. Um, what else was there? Nothing in Dorne. That was cool. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about Arya as Lana?
1: Um, I didn't really understand what was going on there. But it was still pretty cool. I didn't know if that was happening or not. Uh, or if it was going to be happening in the future. Or if it was just a scenario they were playing out. But not the not knowing was neat, because that's also rare for Game of Thrones, that you don't really know if, if something is real or not. Um, at least I didn't. Uh, so that was neat. Everything about this episode was good, but we've got a whole other podcast about that. So, yes. Yay.
0: Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and you're. Yeah, I guess I would guess that you're right, and we are going to get two episode nines, and that's pretty badass, Game of Thrones. So you know that everybody knows that episode nines are the most uh, tend to be the most thrilling episodes, other than like last season where episode like what was it two or three wasn't episode nine with the purple wedding. Um, this is you know it's a nice change of pace. Why don't we just do two episode nines instead of uh, an eight to nine, so... They,
1: they can just keep adding episode nines every... Like, l- the final season of the show is just gonna be an episode nine every week.
0: Hey, that'd be nice. But for now, let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's Penny Dreadful, Above the Vaulted Sky. And uh, my notes for this one are basically just, uh Caliban is still talking. Um, which I know a lot <laughs> of listeners really like Caliban. Uh, but that's just, you know, every time... I couldn't even really enjoy the scenes with Caliban and and Miss Ives because Caliban has an in, he's just so entitled. He is you know he he's so um, obsessed with himself and which as makes sense. I mean I get it. He's got he's got a lot of legit baggage, but you know he's like oh the world is like you you've you're like a murderer. You've killed a lot of people <laughs> and like. Maybe there's a reason people don't like you, and it's not just because you've got this scar on your face, but also because you're terrible and the you're worst. very self-pitying. So why would anybody like you?
1: This this episode not only made me remember how much I dislike Caliban, it ruined any potential interest. I don't know how much potential interest I would have had, but it definitely killed any potential interest I had in exploring the poetry of John Clare, the real John Clare, because... Hearing those characters say that stuff was painful, painful, um, just awful. Like, I'm sure if I'd read some John Clear poetry in a book, um, I might have thought some of it was all right. But hearing those characters say it was just like, ooh, that was that was some rough shit in not the way intended. Uh, it's, it's bizarre how Penny Dreadful is the most schizophrenic show quality wise for me because there are some plot lines I just love. And some and so many characters I love so much and that aren't like anything else on TV. And then other situations that are the exact opposite of just like, why do you still breathe? Why do you still take up space? Why are you still talking? Uh, I, I really can't think of another show with this kind of quality differential, not even like in the last couple of years. It's insane. Who would have thought that Dorian Gray would have like the if not the best plot line, pretty close to the best plot line this season. Everything with him and Angelique is great. Uh, and, and lovely and lyrical and everything you'd expect. Um, everything with Josh Hartnett, I I actually liked the stuff we got with him and the detective this week, uh, this new, uh, detective, um, that he hasn't interacted with before. Um, that stuff was actually good. Um, I continue, every time Lyle is on, like, Lyle is the new MVP of this season, um, somehow uh anytime he and uh and and uh chandler get to spend some time together it's just the best um i i also felt bad that at the end of the episode everyone was getting laid but for some reason for some reason miss ives and ethan weren't weren't getting it on for some reason why just do it guys
0: well that's because i think we're supposed to start forever coupling them that's 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 the sense I got from that at least Because um, if they were gonna bone basically, it would have happened then so so that's gonna be a that that tells me that that's a more long term prospect for the show, especially the way it's been treated that relationship's been treated in previous seasons, and then the way that they've followed up on that here, I expect that to be a longer term thing and tying in with you know Vanessa's conversation she has with Caliban about you know how she doesn't open herself up to feeling that kind of connection with people. I would anticipate that that means that that'll be, you know, a true love thing that they go into um, at the end of the season or maybe even next year. We'll see. But, um, yeah, the Chandler stuff is good. Um, it's it's sad when you're the, the police investigator is not the worst corner of the show that week and or the least interesting. Not the worst. Worst is too harsh. Is not the least interesting part of the show. Um, they're also really working to get me to not like or not care about Lily or you know basically Brona and that's one that I just want them to fast forward to her finding out and like just going off on on the the, the controlling men in her life you know like that's I just want her to to I want her to pull a Caliban on Caliban you know just <laughs> you know I like, can't we just have that that scene sort of replayed and like I'm I'm just really over her being smitten with um, with, with Frankenstein, with Victor, and, uh, I, I get frustrated by seeing that character robbed of her agency the way that she has been this season, and, um, I would like to think, I, I want to enjoy Billy Piper scenes more, because I really respect her as an actress, uh, really liked her, uh, her time and her arc on Doctor Who and the way that she was able to really add so much more to that what that character could have been through her performance. So I would like to like the Billy Piper scenes, Penny Dreadful, if you could take care of that for me. Um, I did really like what we got with Timothy Dalton and the, this with his the stuff with his wife was uh, appropriately horrifying. Um, like you say, Lyle is MVP of the season. His stuff is really fun. And I keep all she has on him is scandal that she's not like physically threatening him. She just has like pictures of indiscretions on yeah. him, right? Why has he not said anything?
1: Um, I mean, there's a core of sadness to that character um, that I feel like we haven't fully explored or, like, fully gotten into that I hope we will uh, because it really it keeps him from being just sort of a caricature uh, and sort of, like, a silly, fun character to balance all that, out all the darkness. Um, I hope we get more of that later and, and, fi- and find out more because uh, we spent so much more time with him with the heroes than with the villains uh so we don't necessarily know that much about what they've got on him or why uh or why he has to uh keep silent. Well hopefully he's just fully on the side of good next season or by the end of the season so that uh we can just have that. But yes, if I just want the the, the first scene of of the next episode to be Ethan seeing Lily and being like what the fuck and <laughs> her being like what the fuck and then they just kill everyone
0: and Vanessa <laughs> And Timothy Dalton running into Evelyn Pool together. yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> that would exactly. be an
1: amazing pre-credit sequence. Just like everybody
0: just like going out for a stroll and be like, wait, but you, but you, you know, like, yeah.
1: yeah. Yes, definitely.
0: I think that's so optimistic that you think Lyle's going to be in next season because I feel like the longer he's hanging out with the good guys and not telling them, the more the show is is, is foreshadowing his like heroic sacrifice and death.
1: Oh my god, please no. Please no. They need to keep him around as long as possible.
0: Any uh, final thoughts on Penny Dreadful? Or if not, when's your week in genre?
1: Penny Dreadful writers, make the show better by doing the things that we think that you should do. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, obviously this is Game of Thrones week. All your passing discretions are, well, not forgotten, but definitely uh, put in perspective this week.
0: Yep, and uh, I will... Um... The Outlander finale is the more important episode and um, and everything, but it's so painful and so traumatizing that I don't want to pick it. <laughs> it's like the, the best versus favorite thing. Yeah. It's, like, it's really good, but I'd rather not even think about it at this point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think Game of Thrones definitely this week. Though, uh, I look forward to this becoming the Hannibal Award, uh, which I assume it kind of will in the next couple weeks. But who knows? We'll see we'll see what you think um, for now a few show notes you can find a poster for this episode up at org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV you can email us thetellers at gmail.com you can like us on Facebook to follow the goings on TV and start up a conversation there we're in iTunes with an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchapter feed and we would appreciate any uh, uh, ratings or reviews there it does help other people find the show you can also um, fi- follow us on Twitter I am at the televerse and Simon you are
1: at Sucker Howell.
0: And what is our question of the week?
1: Uh, I'm wondering if there's anything you'd like to see get a big budgetary boost. I was thinking about this because of Game of Thrones and there are millions and millions of dollars.
0: Hmm. Um, of shows currently on right now or just in general?
1: Uh, Let's say currently.
0: Okay. Well, there's only so many choices. Of the ones that are currently on and Hannibal has clearly shown that they don't need it though maybe it'd be nice for them to just like get to pocket some extra money seeing as they're working on such a tiny budget over there um but i guess I'll give it to um and louis just ended it'd be it'd be fascinating to see what he would do with money but uh i guess i'll I'll go with uh with orphan black and you know i don't i don't know what they you know, it would be such a different show if they had a bunch of money to play with but I'd be intrigued to see what they would do with a larger scale, and with I think the caster storyline would work a lot better if there was a better sense of the infrastructure and the scope of it, the way that yeah. like the finale last season implied there was, and nothing this season has followed up on. Um, so I guess I'll go with Orphan Black. What comes to mind for you?
1: Um, I, w- I that makes me think of the. I mean, it's not currently currently on but that, that makes me think of the americans if only because i don't need like explosions or anything but it would be cool if they could add like another layer of like international intrigue um and maybe spend some time in south america or spend some time in other places where the communist party is uh where where there's you know sort of this ideological clash going on um that could be really interesting uh, that being said i mean it's already a gorgeous uh, show that's that doesn't that never reeks of a show of a show that that requires money i just think it'd be kind of cool uh but orphan black is a really good choice you know canadian production we got no money (laughs)
0: uh well let us know what you think uh listeners and uh that this might be another way for us to be reminded of some shows that maybe we aren't watching that we should be watching um yes But for now, uh, we'll take a break and come back with Dennis Perkins of the AB Club to to have a little bit more and our our final, I should say, uh, discussion of The Wire. So we'll be right back after this.
2: ...positioning systems guide each container to its proper spot on board or on the docks, while state-of-the-art computers track shipments in every part. Some of the systems you're seeing have already been upgraded. Rotterdam now works 350 million tons of cargo annually, leaving Singapore a distant second. What kind of man-hours are the stevedores clocking over there? You know, uh, I don't have those figures handy, I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, Rotterdam does employ 4,000 people. 4,000 people to move 350 million tons a year? That's right. That's efficiency, man.
1: By eliminating some of the more dangerous work, the uh, Rotterdam technologies have reduced
2: employee work-related accidents and injuries by 60%. I think we can all be pretty happy with that, can't we? Question, yes? Yeah, the GPS readings, are they exactly? Can't enough? get hurt if he ain't working, you know, right? Foot- when you walk through the garden You gotta watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow trail If you walk with Jesus He's going to save your soul you got to keep the devil Way down in the hole He's got the fire and the fury At his command Well, you don't have to worry If you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls, we just got to keep the devil way down in the hole.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsick, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, it is a Televerse first. Uh, We are very excited to welcome back Dennis Perkins from the AV Club to talk about The Wire again. What? Hello. Because basically, we got to the end of, uh, or actually even part of the way through our recording uh, with Dennis previously to talk about The Wire and realized there were certain things we hadn't mentioned, like, you know, the docs or a lot of the show, and specifically the show's relationship with this, the the second season and the fifth season. We wanted to dive in with that, so we were coming to the end of our time last time and said, you know what? Screw it. This is a podcast. We're in charge. We can do whatever the hell we want, Right, Simon? So we're going to do The Wire again. Uh, So welcome back, Dennis. Thank you so much for returning.
2: Well, thank you. I'm honored as ever. This is great.
0: Well, because one of the things that's really interesting about The Wire Season 2 is this is never a show that had ratings. Uh, Very few people, if you actually look at the numbers, very few people watched it when it was actually on TV. And yet, uh, whenever, whenever people catch up with it on DVD or for those people who were watching it live... Season one was such is such an amazing um, and refreshing show. It, it's it's showing a kind of a city and a kind of world that it gets rarely explored on TV. And then season two starts, and people I feel like there's there's this really negative relationship people have with the second season because they wanted it to be the first season and were not they didn't know what David Simon was doing, so they they didn't see it as part of this tapestry. They saw it as oh they took all of these interesting black characters and replaced them with a bunch of white guys. Um, and so I think the second season gets unfairly maligned. What do you guys think about that?
2: Um, if I may, yeah. Uh, yes, I I was looking. Um, uh, there was a great oral history they did of The Wire. Uh, I think Maxim did it, of all places. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I, Michael K. Williams, who plays Omar, of course, uh, I remember him. I've got the quote right here. He talks about... You know, uh, season one, I was just happy to have a gig. Uh, Season two, I got real antsy. I thought David Simon bamboozled the black cast when he brought all the white actors in to tell the doc (laughs) storyline. He said, I was like, this is some bullshit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, um, but midway through season three, I saw that this was bigger than me. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, it definitely throws people. I I warn people, uh, like I've said before, I work at the last video store in the world, and I turn people onto the wire all the time, and they're always really grateful, and then I always tell them, don't be thrown by the beginning of season two. It's going to work out. Just trust that they know what they're doing. Because um, there was another quote in that that oral history where I can't remember who it was, but someone said uh, season two is all about... um, uh, if you just keep if we kept doing the same story and continuing the same story even though that's what people really wanted it would just be another cop show and this was the beginning of it was a really bold kind of uh broadening of the base of the show and indicated just how ambitious um the creators were they w- they didn't want to just do a cop show they wanted to do what i always say you know the this is this is a great american novel of an american city and he wanted to get underneath baltimore and one of the biggest elements in baltimore that you have to deal with is is the docks so i think you know it threw people and it it pissed a lot of people off clearly including uh, you know omar but um but it makes sense
1: yeah in retrospect um i mean i remember watching this for the first time and uh, having a similar reaction as other people, although maybe not as vitriolic, of just being like, "Oh, we're doing this now," and, um, and I think also the the only the only reason I think the the season suffers in comparison to some of the others is that the actual um, the actual criminal element, uh, you know, the, the the Greek and his subordinates are maybe not as compelling as uh, as. They're a little bit more sort of almost they're almost cartoonish uh, to to some degree compared to uh, the more sort of fully fleshed out characters we get in the other seasons, partially because those characters get a lot more screen time. Um, And it's also strange because um, the 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 season is a total outlier in the sense that, um, you know, in, in the first season we get we get cops and drug dealers. And then after that, you know, we expand to the political arena and the education system and the press. But in season two, we get the docs, and then after that, with a couple of little exceptions, that's it for the docs. Yep. Uh, they, don't, they don't remain part of that tapestry. You know, David Simon and, and company, they tell the story they want to tell with the docs, and that's it. Um, and so it's – I really can't think of a precedent for um, – I mean – like for instance, uh, the second season of Justified kind of uh, expands the show's uh, the show's world a little bit, um, and then t- and then tells a sort of a more cohesive story involving other characters. But that, but those that element those elements of the show kind of remain. I really can't think of another show that goes uh, on on kind of uh, a total digression for its second season and then never returns to it. I don't know if there's really a precedent for that.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, definitely when I was watching it, because I didn't have someone warning me, like like you, Dennis, uh, I think I, I was unfairly harsh with some of the performances. Thinking back... I don't think I gave Ziggy enough credit the first time through. (laughs) And of course, when you look at this cast, I mean, Pablo Schreiber, who we love on Orange is the New Black, he's Nick. There's some really good performances, some really interesting characters. But like you say, Simon, because it doesn't connect back up in the way that we have. And I'm curious if you guys think that that was an intentional distancing by Simon and the, the creative team uh to to like let's not piss people off by bringing back ziggy again um or if that's just they were done with their story but because you know there are a lot of really interesting performances and and characters happening in season two but because it doesn't ever tie back in it like you're saying it does feel more like a digression than an expansion
2: yeah i i get that i mean it's um um you see some of the dock workers they show up um I think in, in yeah it's in season 5 in season when season 5 yeah.
0: yeah yeah
2: they show up and a, a number of them are homeless and living in the homeless camp when they're they're doing the the serial killer storyline which we'll get to but um yeah it, it's Simon you're absolutely right I mean I really can't think of another season that uh, of a show that really did this um and I I do I agree with Simon that um I don't think it works as well there's a reason I I hadn't watched season 2 in a while where I, I revisit the wire quite often just, you know, cause I, for fun. Um, but, uh, and I think <laughs> Kate, what you're talking about, I really am. I, I think we are justifiably hard on some of these performances. I don't think they're as, it's not just that I want more stringer bell and I want, you know, more Omar. Uh, it's, it's also that I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of Chris Bauer's performance as, as Frank Sabatka. Uh, I think he hits it really hard I think a lot of the doc stuff is very like uh throwback on the waterfront kind of acting that, that is broader than, than the show is used to. Um, uh, and, and the use of, of Valcheck as, as a major antagonist also in the season really hurts it. I mean, he's, he's a good character for, for how they use him otherwise in the show, but having him be kind of front and center for a lot of this season is, he's just, as, as Simon said about the Greek and Vondis, just, kind of more cartoonish it's like that that's a character i've seen before those are villains i've seen before um so yeah i mean there's there's a lot in season two that i i take issue with but that being said i think the great thing about season two is that the gradual way it's i i'm a sucker for a good get the band back together story and as you see the 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 main uh police crew being drawn back together on this case um it's really energizing. It's really exciting and fun. And uh, by the end of the season, it's it's right back up and running.
1: And and not only that, I mean, it's, it is a really good get the band back together story, which is uh, deceptively difficult to do well and not seem horribly forced, especially in season twos, which seems to be when they happen a lot, because a lot of shows work hard to have like a climactic end of first season where it seems like things are, are irreparably rendered apart. But anyway um but i but i think that as a story uh you know a, a a three or four or five act story uh with you know these 12 or 13 constituent e- episodes it's one of the best uh just in terms of the way it escalates from these seemingly really banal or innocuous origins i mean it basically starts with a church window mm-hmm. and then just goes and goes and goes from there, and and you know David Simon and his writers have obviously they've talked a lot about you know classical tragedy, and um and I think that this season is one of the most elegant in terms of, uh in in terms of sort of hewing to, uh to that template while also seeming very contemporary and also while while doing the things that The Wire does really well that are specific to The Wire especially that you know the, that out the Getting to know a system and then get, seeing how that system works, and then seeing how it breaks down, and we get that very meticulously in those first few episodes when we learn uh, how th- how the docks work and uh, and how the shipping system works, and then how it's exploited.
0: I have to remind myself when I look at this season that certain characters and certain events happen in this season. Cause I have, I enjoy, um, uh, Paul Ben Victor because of my years watching the pretender back <laughs> on NBC. Was that NBC CBS? Something. Uh, but, but I like, I forget that he was a character on this show because the docs is so compartmentalized in my brain. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, but there so there, there are some characters like, cause I remember this spot cause I remember them. But the other one, big one for me is that I forget the BD Russell and Amy Ryan's fantastic performance as her yeah. starts in season 2 because she's so yeah. associated for me with season 3 and just the the delightful uh pushing to the side of uh, of of um McNulty in season 4. I forget mm. that she starts out here and I love and because that's another character another actor we didn't mention at all in our other segment. Um Amy Ryan's so fa- fabulous in there and I, and I like the way that they They keep from going to it's a little straightforward, but they keep from going, you know, adhering too strictly to the um, there's one good cap kind of approach (laughs) to the to the docs and to like the security there, along with all the corruption. I I think they actually do a pretty good job handling that. And it's 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 very odd to me that again, like I was saying, I have to remind myself that she was even in season two.
2: Yeah, she's uh, she's remarkable. I love her in everything. And she, the thing that she does so well is, I mean, <laughs> the first time I saw her, I, I, the first time I remember her was in Gone Baby Gone, which is just a completely different role than I'm used to her in. And she's so amazing as just this horrible, horrible thing of a person. But um, <laughs> but uh, what I love her uh, here and, and elsewhere, uh, she just she, – conveys like heartbroken humanity really well and in this whole this whole season when you meet her I mean she's the single mom who took the the the, uh, the doc police job you know for the money and the benefits and she's she knows about the corruption and she really likes Frank you can tell they have kind of like a not flirtatious but definite sort of warmth between them despite the fact that he's She knows, you know, that he's as corrupt as everyone else on the docks. But the gradual realization that she has to go through to become, you know, both a real cop and also to understand, uh, you know, that what Frank has done and what it really means for their relationship. It's just she's so heartbreaking and so uh, but so, you know. Tough about it, too, you can watch her you know become again become a real cop as as the season goes on it 's just a remarkable performance.
0: do we have any other uh elements to the second season that we want to that we want to specifically mention, or shall we move on to season five, the other potentially maligned season of of the wire
2: i don 't think I can move on without talking about Ziggy just a little bit uh-huh. <laughs> and the duck and the duck um I mean the archetype of the irredeemable fuck up is, is, is fine. I mean, every, (laughs) it's not unprecedented and it can be used. Well, I, I really, uh, I think he's just out of, he's, he's out of whack. He's just so he's, he's more of a fuck up than any character in TV history that I can think of. And it becomes so grating to me. (laughs) I just, it seems like they just lost control of Ziggy at some point. And, uh, you know, I've liked James Ransom in some other stuff, although he was in, um, Low Winter Sun. The poor uh, bastard. I, which I had to review and which, um, he had to play kind of brooding handsome fuck up, uh, which was a little more palatable, but still, um, uh, I don't know, uh, as a, as a driving force behind much of the, uh, much of the season on the docks, uh, I don't know, it, he just, again, same thing with the villains, it just, it seemed too much, a little too cartoonish to me.
0: I, I hear what you're saying with that, and it's certainly when you're watching, I, I feel like the a rewatch makes it a little less frustrating, but especially the first time, because you don't know how much of this <laughs> am I going to have to deal with, you know, you, can, you, need, you can't, like, contextualize it, it's like when you read Harry Potter 5 the first time, and you just want to throttle Harry the second time through it's a lot more palatable um at least for me i don't know uh, but um i actually kind of like that they don't they don't seem too concerned with making him lovable like he's a he's a lovable you know he's just a fuck up and like and those you know when you have that kind of a presence in your life it is a destructive and frustrating one and uh so the fact that they don't like give him a wink to the audience or like, oh, but he really loves, he helps out at the charity. You know, like I like that they don't feel the need to um, add some like phony level of likability to him on top of, you know, what that character is there to be.
1: No, he doesn't even take good care of the duck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's one of those characters, those performances that I look forward to getting a chance to go back and rewatch more of season two to appreciate, because I feel like, My baggage with the character is probably bleeding over to my appreciation of the performance. And I like to think that I'm a little bit more evolved as a critic since I (laughs) first watched um, season two. And like you said, Dennis, when I think of episodes or episodes to go back to or seasons to go back to, I just beeline for season four. I just like don't pass go, don't collect $200. Um, And so I I tend to skip over season two. So that's one that I actually am looking forward to uh, really having a, a new appreciation of or a new... Getting a chance to look at it with fresh eyes, because I feel like it'll probably shift for me.
1: I would say that uh, having seen season two at least at least twice, uh, definitely on rewatch, uh, it was a lot easier to appreciate what once you know sort of the the topography of the whole show, and you realize you're getting that mosaic view of the city. It d- it does feel like it makes a lot more sense, even if it does still even if it still is really an outlier. Well, and again,
0: it's that notion of when you're watching it the first time, you're like, "Wait, is this the show now? Is this what the show's gonna be for the rest of the run?" You know, so so yeah, under knowing when it's gonna end, knowing how it's gonna play out, certainly affects things. Um, and yet, that doesn't really help me with season five because I I am on the bandwagon for this one and i'm i'm curious what you guys think of it but i i have a really hard time with season 5 because it feels like a different show to me everything with with the newspaper i like the stuff with the newspaper but everything with mcnulty deciding he's going to like fake a serial killer it's, it's too heightened and it's too it's it's it feels like a different show it feels like a lesser show to me and I would love to hear if that is just if that's what we're supposed to be thinking about McNulty. If McNulty's out of control, and that's why the, you know, or if the, if that part of the show still works for you guys.
2: I've thought about season five a lot because yeah, it, it, I've said and stand by the fact that I think the Wire is the best show I've ever seen. I think it's the best show television has ever produced. And if that see if that show has an entire season, that's kind of a disappointment. That's puzzling. And I've got, so I think about it a lot. (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, part of it is that it's a shorter season. They cut the, the episode order. I don't remember, but it was late in the day. And I think, I think the, the storytelling got compressed a bit and I think that made some of the strokes broader and that might excuse some of it. Um, but I think, Kate, I mean, I think you're right. There's stuff that doesn't work. The, the serial killer story, McNulty decides that, you know, he's kind of fallen off the wagon and he's cheating on Beatty and he's losing it and the, the department's out of money and everything's desperate. So he comes up with this on the fly idea to craft a fake serial killer in town to bring in uh, more money uh, that he can spread around and Jimmy can be the hero which is in tune with his character, but it seems like, like Kate said, I mean, it seems like a different show. It seems like a cop show. Um, Again, I've seen cop shows, you know, and I've seen shows with big, you know, it's a gimmick. It's a premise kind of driven storyline as opposed to a character driven storyline for a lot of it. And I think, um, I don't think you can escape that. I think the only thing that I could say is that rewatching it, which I've done many times is, um, maybe if they'd set up more uh how desperate the the police department was getting you know uh maybe that could have um just not justified it but it could have it could have laid the groundwork better for jimmy doing something so desperate in return i guess um but the only the only Problem again I have with that is that I never ever no matter how much groundwork you lay would would think that Lester Freeman would go along with Jimmy's plan I I can't I can't get that in there I can't squeeze it in and I can't make it work I don't know
0: it just feels to me like um, it feels like a drunken Jimmy saying I'm Batman <laughs> like he's a drunken Batman who's going to save the police department through faking a serial it's like ridiculous. <laughs>
1: Um here's the thing. I agree I, I sort of agree about Lester uh going along with it. However, um we have to I mean I I think it was Simon who said this at at the time and I don't think he's totally wrong. Um I don't necessarily think that the serial killer plotline is any more ridiculous or far-fetched than Hamsterdam was. Uh that was season 3, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Um there has never been a Hamsterdam that's never happened certainly uh, at least not in I mean obviously in other countries but certainly not in Baltimore and it doesn't seem like it would ever happen um, so I don't really have trouble buying the notion that uh, that someone would exploit the public fascination with uh, sort of more sensational crimes in order to to, to funnel in cash and it, and I and I like it as sort of a meta commentary on the crime stories that capture people, including the TV crime stories that capture people Mm -hmm. and capture the people's attention and, and sort of appeal to their, to their lesser instincts. And I think it also results in some really great stuff um, with some of the characters involved in particular, frankly, I think one of the funniest scenes of the entire show uh, when, um, uh, when McNulty and, um, and Kima, go in for uh, to talk to a behavioral psychologist <laughs> um about what they what, helping them hunt for the for the serial killer and it's a perfect description of McNulty um that to me that almost justifies anything uh related to that plot line and I know it's a small thing but I I will never forget that scene because it's uh, to me it's one of the one of the comic highlights of the whole show uh and I also like the fact that um it really seems like uh, the show is headed for a stereotypically tragic ending for McNulty. And, uh, and then it gives us kind of a, uh, it it gives us kind of an ironic play on that where we get his, um, his detectives wake, but it's just Mm. for his career, (laughs) Uh, which uh, I I really like that. It's, it's, you know, it would have been so easy for them to go for yet another of the show's like million downer endings. And I like that it gave us something a little bit more uh, open-ended instead. Um, I don't know. I never, I I I will admit that the first time I saw it, the, the serial killer thing did throw me for a loop just like everyone else, but I'm not really sure it's that much more ridiculous than anything else, uh, than, than sort, of, sort of the other, some other plot elements we've gotten.
0: I think for me, some of the difference is, well, it probably helps that the Amsterdam is an aspirational thing. You know, it's like we'd like to think that that's a thing that could work and like, you know, cut down on violence or whatever, whereas this is not not that. Um, But also, and I I could be totally wrong on this, so, you know, correct me. At, At least how it feels. Hampton feels like it takes like three episodes. And the serial killer thing feels like it takes the whole season. And I know that that's probably not an accurate assessment but that's like with the maybe it's because i just dread the serial killer scene so they feel like there's more of them i notice more of them um but i think that's sort of how i distinguish the the two but you're right it's not like the show hasn't done far-fetched things in the past on the uh, you know in in previous seasons
2: i guess the only just to go back to my (laughs) the excuse i always try to make for season five is that you know not having as much time to tell the story i think we bought hamsterdam or i did um because it set up Bunny Colvin and it set up that situation and it set up the hopelessness he felt so well that it made sense to me that he would do something so drastic. And again, he, he he was, you know, he, he set it up with a lot of escape hatches for people who were questioning it. They could, they could think about it in different ways. They didn't know exactly what he was doing. Um, you know uh essentially legalizing drugs he he could he could frame it in different ways for different people it it kind of was set up better it made sense to me whereas again the the this one it just seemed it seemed like another a lesser show invading the writer's room just when that concept was was come up with i don't know
1: i, th- I think the the plausibility of hamsterdam was aided and I, this and again this is totally unfair for the serial killer thing <laughs> uh was aided because uh because the fallout from Hamsterdam led in beautifully to Bunny Colvin getting into uh, to edu- into education. Because mm-hmm. oh, the college kids loved Hamsterdam; <laughs> you know, they thought that was a great idea, even though it totally fell apart. They they really liked the and the aspirational uh, aspect to it, and that really leads in beautifully to to what follows. Whereas the serial killer thing can't lead to anything because it's the end of the show, uh, so it it never really gets to be folded into the show's mythology in the same way.
2: Yeah, I, and just sorry to butt in, but just no, go for it. The, what Simon, what you were saying about there is a lot of meta commentary in season five. It's commenting on cop shows. It's commenting on you know the public's uh, fascination, what they what they choose to to pay attention to, and uh, the the biggest line for me in season five another it's another McNulty line is when he's confessing to Beatty what he's done. Because it's all about to come down, and he says, "You go your whole life thinking you're the main character, uh, and it turns out that you're not." Which is a perfect—it's that's a paraphrase, but it's it's a perfect encapsulation too of, you know, Dominic West on the show. You know, he was presented; he's in the you know up front and center in all the posters in the first season, and you know the 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 cover art on the DVDs, and he's you know the handsome rogue, maverick cop. And the whole show is is a basically a deconstruction of of the Jimmy McNulty model, you know. And when he finally realizes it, just his performance there—it's just so heartbreaking in a way.
0: Yeah, well, we should also talk about a couple of the other threads in the season because because as despite my frustrations with the serial <laughs> killer thing, I they could do that like. All it, it could turn into low winter sun or the following for half the season, <laughs> and if they gave me what they gave me with bubbles in this season, I wouldn't care. Yes, because it's so amazing, um, and I, I the ability of this show to and I, the finale I think is fantastic, but to take the finale and to to have what happens with Dookie happen and it breaks mm-hmm. your heart, and then to have bubbles walk up the stairs and it just fills you with hope again it's amazing how they're able to balance that i i shouldn't be able to feel any hope in that finale when what happens with dookie does but they manage to because of bubbles
1: well and it's one of those things that really shouldn't work um because so much of the finale is uh x is the new y so you know is the new Bubbles, right. and, uh, and you know, this character slots in where that character was, and the circle of lies, you know, <laughs> and it should be, uh, and it should be really schematic and finger wagging and, like, it should be super annoying, uh, but I think it's the depth of the characterization that makes it work. Um, and the elegance of, uh, of of the storytelling that makes it work. And that, ma- and that makes you, even while you're acknowledging, okay, they're doing this, and uh, it's very, quote, clever, and I should be annoyed, but on, on another level, it actually is just plain old clever. And uh, and in, in the case of Bubbles, especially, they, uh, you know on a certain level that you can't have watched that, because he's the uh, one of the only characters who's in every season. Uh, And he's sort of the, you you, you really, he's the sneaky secret heart of the show. And um, you know that you can't have followed that character this whole time without some kind of redemptive ending. Uh, And yet you distrust that it's coming because so much of the show is such a fucking downer. Uh, So when it does come, it does have that intensely euphoric feeling because the show's been so good
2: at withholding uh, those rewards. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, Bubbles is kind of, you know, he's, he's on the fringes, he's on the periphery the whole time, but like you said, I mean, he is, I mean, he's one of the, I remember the, one of the first, uh, not the first, but one in the, in the Hamsterdam episode when Bubbles is, he has a long walk through Hamsterdam at night and just watching Andre Royo's face register all the horror that's going on in there, um, the fact that he's so affected by it it really kind of shifted him into a position of of you know he's on the outside but he that gives him you know vision to be able to see it you know he's he's at the bottom he's in the basement um but that gives him the ability to see everything going on and it really just the way it all registers on him through the through five seasons and what he turns into it is it's it's the most hopeful um character on the show. Um, and it certainly, you know, he didn't start out that way. Um, you know, he was sort of the, the comic, you know, he was, he was, you know, junkie. I mean, he was, (laughs) he was the funny junkie character and, um, yeah, just, you know, walking up those stairs, like Kate said, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, ascending out of the show in a way (laughs) when you thought he would never escape from it.
0: I can't put anything better than that. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, do we have any thoughts on the newspaper? Do we want to touch on the newspaper storylines at all? Cause we haven't actually mentioned that. And that's sort of the framework of the season.
1: Yes. Uh, um, yeah. Good. Um, I really like Clark Johnson. Um, and it, it's great to see them fold him in as an actor. Uh, when he spent so much time behind the scenes um, prior to that, the, uh, and I, and I always love heroic editors. Uh, there's only, I can really only think of two of them in the history of TV and film. There is Clark Johnson on the wire and there's Peter Sarsgaard in Shattered Glass. And that's pretty much it because usually editors are, are, you know, these domineering, horrible, anti-creative, uh, vultures. And to see them, it's always nice to see people, uh, doing their jobs well and their jobs that are generally not lionized, um, that being said some of the some of the newspaper stuff is a little broad and has a, and has that feeling of of uh of we we are of it, it sledgehammers the message a little bit more than i'd like um mm-hmm. but again as you mentioned Dennis it may be a product of having to to shove the message into just 10 episodes
2: yeah i, I again um that, that you know, that's always my blanket excuse for my go to excuse for season five is that maybe if they had more time to 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 work in uh some subtlety they would have. But at the same time, yeah, sledgehammer is a good word. Even in the the, the most corrupt uh police stories, there's some subtlety, you know, with Burrell and Rawls and the mayor and well maybe not Valchek, but um Uh, it's very, very clear that they, you know, uh, uh, Simon was a, was a newspaper reporter, right. And and he, he worked at the Baltimore sun and he clearly has some access to grind and, and, and it kind of, I think it gets away from him, uh, because there are, there are two camps in that story and these are the good reporters and these are the bad reporters and there's no middle ground. I mean, and, and, uh, Templeton uh played by Tom McCarthy um is just you know he's the epitome of the worst of new journalism and mm-hmm. there's no getting around him i mean he's he kind of you kind of feel for him when he's not very good at his job you know cuz you kind of feel bad as a human but the way that he kind of worms his way to the top is just clearly what simon wants to show is you know that's the path to success. That's the way. That's he is the future of journalism, and uh, yeah, it kind of poisons the whole story for me. There, there's no, there's not a lot of subtlety there. Oh, and I would say uh, Ben Bradley, played by Jason Robards in All the President's Men, is also kind of a heroic editor. But yeah, that's the only other one I could think of.
1: Ah, uh, g- good one. Um, I I would just add to that. Um, oh, I think we can be really grateful in retrospect that um this that this season slightly predates the the real rise of like the journalistic blogosphere yes
0: <laughs> that was what I was gonna say
1: because <laughs> <laughs> if I don't yeah. think Simon would have handled that well
2: I think he would handle it better than than Aaron Sorkin has but yeah yes. but I
1: mean come on <laughs> that's not saying much it's not, saying not at at all. so little I would I, I would I also just really quickly want to add that uh, to me now, I'm sorry, but Tom McCarthy will now and forever always also be the guy who just directed The Cobbler. So
2: he's, he he's three for four. He's batting 750 with movies. He's he's he'll he'll bounce back. He's in a slump. Let's hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, the only thing I have uh, with this storyline, I I do yeah, as much as the there's the problem in a character. The writing is is um, you know like sledgehammer. I I'm gonna. Third, that yeah, you know, that's <laughs> uh, that feels about right. Uh, I do think Tom McCarthy, uh, the performance is good, and uh, I, I yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of elements of that newspaper storyline that I do think work, but I just wonder if you've already alluded to. It. I just think Simon maybe doesn't have the distance that he needs to be able to tell the story of of the newspaper. Maybe he's you know he's too close to it and doesn't have the perspective or maybe I'm just reading into that because I know about his background. But that's what it seems like to me at least um and it's 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 a shame because he does such a great job with you know pretty much every other institution that he examines throughout the series. So maybe that was something where it would have been good to have another creative voice countering the, you know, such an inside perspective.
1: I, I think it's important also to, to really underline the fact that at least to me, the stuff that carries over from previous seasons with the kids and the education system and, uh, and the mayor's office and all that stuff is still there. And it's all still really good in season five. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, that's like at least half the season. <laughs>
0: Do we have any final thoughts on season five or The Wire as a whole? As we could We've we gone long on our supplemental already because it's The Wire and we're us. Uh, but do we have any final thoughts or things that we've got to get in there about The Wire this season or season two?
1: Uh, we didn't mention the fate of Omar, which mm-hmm. I'm sure is something they thought a lot about. And I think they came up with the perfect ending for him.
2: Yeah, I he I, I was something in that oral history again where, you know, someone was talking about... You know, you can't – people wanted – they had a sense that people wanted Omar to have a big heroic death. And as much as people love Omar and as much as he is one of the best TV characters in history, they didn't want to glamorize him. They didn't want him to go out that way. And, yeah, Simon, as you said, I mean, having him go out as ignominiously and abruptly by at the hand of that little punk canard um, for no reason, you know, I mean – they just were showing that you know he can't you can't live that life without it eventually coming to call on you no matter how cool you are.
0: Definitely, Dennis. Any final thoughts?
2: Holy cow! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, I don't know to restate. Um, I think with as with bubbles, uh, there's a an, another stealth heart to the show is is Presbelewski and he has. He doesn't have a big role in in the the latter season, season five, but you know the one that he does when he shows up in that scene with with Duki, and he's you know handsome and bearded and confident and and sees right through him. Uh, you know, like Bubbles, he's he's a guy who was on the periphery at the beginning, kind of a stock character, who maybe by virtue of the fact that he wasn't central and wasn't so plugged into the inner workings of this hugely dysfunctional city uh, and all of its attendant kind of systems, he was able to carve out a tiny little place where he could do something good. And uh, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful character. And I really uh, uh, I don't know. He really gets to me And that that last scene. It it just it seems like a summation of that for me.
1: Oh, uh, actual last thing for me. Uh, I really, really came to appreciate Marla Stanfield on on rewatch, mm-hmm. and his, and and the performance. And he he's he's such a uh, a charisma void compared to Stringer <laughs> Bell. And it's so it's confusing at first and and annoying, but then you realize how intentional it is because he's just not the same sort of criminal. And I love once again, again it's a finale thing, but I love his last few scenes and his his sort of. Uh, his, uh, a possibly ill-advised attempt to sort of go straight and, uh, or, you know, criminal straight Stringer Bell straight and just how ill fitting it is. And, uh, I just, I, that, that performance is, uh, is just so great.
0: Yeah. That's one that, like you say, when you don't have the contact, you, when you're just reacting to shouldn't kill Stringer Bell, man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to appreciate, but, uh, with fresh eyes and with the second look back yeah, it really, it, it's really impressive. Because uh, how do you follow up these characters? How do you follow up uh, Stringer Bell? How do you follow up these other figures that have been so dominant? And that's, I think, part of the struggle with with, episode, uh, with season two as well. How do you follow up this amazing season one? Um, and so they, uh, with The Wire, they tended to go a very different way. And for the most part, it, I think it really worked for them. And that's part of the fun of reexamining seasons mm-hmm. two and season five.
1: I should I should clarify that was Jamie Hector as uh, yes. as Marlowe, who's who's gone on to be a uh, to do very different things and some other pretty solid shows.
0: Yeah, watch him actually, you know, walk around wearing a suit and being a cop <laughs> on Bosch. It was so wonderful to see him playing a guy who wears a suit. Um, anyways, thank you so much, Dennis, for coming back on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Where can our listeners find you and your work online?
2: Uh, mainly at the AV Club. Uh, I I review uh, various television i'm also the guy who will tell you what's on tonight in the cleverly uh named weekend what's on tonight feature um uh next big show coming up uh coming up on the the sunday uh coming up tomorrow uh is uh uh, and catch fire comes back and i'm I'm back on that one so
0: great well again thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs)